And if, if you're an adult and would like to sit instead of stand, uh, we also have some seats that are free up in the dreaded front row. And then uh, there's some chairs we put out over here. If you want to stand, uh, feel free, but I would encourage sitting in our very uncomfortable wooden pews. Uh, <laughs> If we haven't met, my name is Tony. Yes, I love it when people sit in the front row. Thank you. Give them a round of applause. Your courage is exemplary. Uh, so my name is Tony. I have the joy of being able to uh, serve in this community. Now, uh, if you're new visiting, checking us out, thanks for coming. Um, we're doing something, so usually we teach through a book. We will be starting the Gospel of Mark, actually, in September, uh, which I love. It's going to be, I, th I think it'll be good. Um, can we close that door? I, th I think it's going to freeze out the people in the back row. Thank you. And maybe that one, too, if you're, if you're uh, quick. Um, this Sunday, though, we're going to talk about our discipleship acronym. It's called ABLE. One of the things when we started this church plant five years ago was we didn't want people simply thinking good thoughts about Jesus. We wanted to form a people that were practicing the way of Jesus. So we created this discipleship acronym, uh, ABLE. A stands for attend. B stands for bless, right? We want to form a people that are attending to the person of Jesus. We want to form a people that are a blessing both inside and outside the church. We want to form a people, L, that are learning about themselves and God and the Scriptures, and we want to form a people, uh, E, able, that eat, which you probably already do intuitively, but we want to form a people that are eating with people inside and outside the church as a way to embody the welcome of God. Now, today we're talking about L, and uh, you know, when I, um, when I officiate weddings, I almost always start with something like this. You know, you're not here to just sit back and observe a ceremony, right? Because you show up at a wedding and you think, all right, I get to chill. That's really not the function of the witness at a wedding. Your role is actually to witness wedding vows. And you're invited because on some level you're connected to that couple. And then the idea is you're going to help that couple live out those vows after that day. Did you know that was your role when you were invited to a wedding? Something similar, though, happens in church. We show up and we think that our role is to listen to some music, some person sit, you know, up here, share about the Scriptures, and we think that is our role in the kingdom of God. I want to push back on that this morning. Your role is not to sit back and observe a service. And you see this through the, from the very beginning of Scripture, right? God creates all things. Then what does He do? He creates humans to bear His image in the world, to represent His interests on earth, right? In Genesis 2, you have Adam formed. What is He supposed to do? Tend and keep the garden. He has a role to play. Yeah, things go wrong. What does God do? He calls a family out of Babylon, right? Abraham and their family, and He wants them to be a blessing to the world. At every stage of the Old Testament story, God partners with people like you and I to image His kingdom, His interests, His values, His love in the world. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus shows up on the scene. What's one of the first things He does? 
He invites people like you and me to join him in community. He dies. He's resurrected. He ascends to the Father. What does he do? Sends out those people to represent his interests, his kingdom, his love on earth. So today, I want to lean in a little bit to what is your role? What is your role in the unfolding story of God? And to tease this out, I want to look at a couple different New Testament texts. And I want to spend a little time on, like, how does this process uh, hit on the ground? But before I do that, um, I want to take a moment to pray, and this is why. My thesis this morning is essentially that every single person in this room has an absolutely wonderful, beautiful, and necessary contribution to make in God's kingdom and in His economy. And... I think a lot of you are going to start by discounting yourselves. You're going to show up this morning wondering, well, maybe if I just spent the next five years becoming a little bit more faithful, then then I'll be ready. Or you'll think to yourself, you know, my plate is already super full. How could I ever participate this morning? And so before I even start, you might theoretically or biblically agree with me, but you are going to discount yourself from participating. So I want to start with some prayer, because I'm pretty confident that my words are not going to be sufficient to convince you otherwise, but maybe God's Spirit will. So if you sense in yourself the possibility that you might sort of check out during this message, or think it's for someone else, or think, there's no way I could do that this season, I just invite you to be open enough to let the Spirit speak to you. God, we just ask in this space that you would remind us of who we are. Will you disentangle the lies maybe we've embraced about who we are? Help us to see ourselves as you see us, God, as these precious contributors in relationship with one another in you for and in your kingdom. Pray against all the ways in which we might discount ourselves. Pray that we would feel inspired to be who you made us. I pray against the pressure of conformity. I pray against the discounting of gifts you have given us. Pray against words that have been spoken over people in this room that might limit them. Set us free. Set us free not to do what we think should be done in church, but to do what you, God, Creator, Lord Almighty, King of the kingdom, have called us to be and do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Now, to begin, I want to start with uh, sort of a biblical perspective on what does it mean to be a human, right? You and me as we sit here this morning. Now, in a secular culture, we're told a lot of things about who we are. We're students, employees, bosses, spouses, single parents, grandparents, and all these, you know, are true to various degrees. But biblically, I don't think these get at the heart of who we are and our role in the unfolding story of God. 
I want to focus on one uh, phrase from the book of Ephesians that Paul writes. This is in chapter 2, verse 10. This is what Paul writes. For we are God's handiwork, created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Notice who Paul says we are. We are God's handiwork. The Greek word here used is uh, poema, which can be translated workmanship. But if you slow down a little bit, and I say it again, poema, you start to think, that sounds a lot like a word in English. Poem. In the New Testament, right, poema only refers to God's work. So we're not merely talking about two humans reproducing, but we are the work of God. John Piper has this lovely quote. He says this. The point is that a po- in a poem, there is manifest design, intention, wisdom, and power. The wind might create a letter in the sand, but not a poem. That's the point. God acted. God planned. God designed. God crafted. He created and made. And the truth is, this isn't something Paul makes up in the first century, writing letters to churches out in the ancient Near Eastern world and the Greco-Roman world. This actually fits perfectly in biblical anthropology. Right? In Genesis, God is the one who creates humankind. God is the one who creates Adam and Eve. In the Psalms, the writer writes in Psalm 139, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. We are made by God. Sure, we live in a sin-damaged world. We are affected by sin. We are affected by the brokenness of the people in our lives and in this world. And yet, we are made good, fearfully and wonderfully made. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are created in Jesus Christ. Here the word kritso uh, refers to making or creating something that had not existed before. And what this means is that we're not only made by God, we are uniquely created by God. No one in the history of the world is just like you. I forget this sometimes, though. My guess is you do, too. Sometimes we try and be like other people. That certain person we're envious of or jealous of, and we try and conform to the image of our neighbor rather than living as the person God created us to be. But when we do this, we actually miss the really profound point that Paul is making We are actually unique, individual masterpieces. Whether we have 10 million followers or not, whether we have tons of money or not, all of us, masterpieces. But He didn't create us to sit in a museum between between two inches of plexiglass and like a little barrier that we can't touch. We are functional art. 
God made us to live in the world, not to just stand on display, but for good works, to embody his justice, his goodness, his beauty on earth. And as God's unique functional art, we're made to do good, right? But this isn't earning. This isn't to prove yourself. This isn't by works. This is for works. We're made by God for good work. And these works are authentic expressions flowing out of who God made you individually to be. If you look at your life just for a second, you'll see this at play. Right? Based on your temperament, your experience, your story, your gifts, your strengths, some things just come so easily to you. That's just being you. And when you are you, living from this place of God's authentic design, you just kind of rock it at certain things. It's just like, what? I was just breathing. No, no, no. You were doing all these things, and it just came naturally. If, um, when I started, when God called us to do this church plant, I remember telling God early on, like, all right, God, like, I'm here, but you know I stink at certain things, right? Like, you drop me anywhere in the world. Within six months, I will have done a couple things. Whether I speak the language, you know, and I was just, I was empathizing with our language learners earlier this morning. Learning language is tough, so shout out to you. But if you drop me pretty much anywhere in the world, within six months, I will meet with people one-on-one -on -one and help them grow. I will probably have launched something, a ministry, a way to serve the needs of the community, and I will probably start teaching in some capacity. No one will tell me to do these things. No one will have to supervise me. I will just do them. Within six months, though, if I don't have someone asking me about it, I will have created very little administrative structure, <laughs> and I probably will not maintain the things I create. I think that's some of how God made me to uniquely operate in the world. So when I, when God called our family down here, I told him, all right, God, you know these things about me. So if this thing is a total bomb and just blows up in a few months, it's on you. <laughs> you laugh, I'm serious. Because God knows me. He created me for good works. If he brought me down here and said, this is you, Tony, do it. Well, God, you better bring the people that will surround me so that we can image your kingdom in this place. Because you know, Tony is one puzzle piece. He is not the whole picture. And I told him, and if it takes off, God, you get all the credit. Because you picked me with my strengths and my weaknesses to come down here. You know, very rarely, I think, do you sort of leaning into what our strengths are, our gifts are, does that go wrong? It's almost always actually where it goes wrong is when people discount the strengths and the gifts that God has given them. I almost always do this exercise with leaders where I have them do some sort of gift test or like strength 
finder's test or something like that. And then we put our things up on a wall. So let's say you have six or seven people and they put their list up there. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, I do this and I do that. And then I ask this question, which sort of always throws them off. They're like, so if you could trade one of your strengths for anyone else's, would you? I have yet to have that experience where almost everyone in the world would be like, I'll trade. Because sometimes we look at other people and what they're doing and we think, I wish I was a little more like that person. And when we do that, we actually undermine the really unique, tailored impact God wants to do through us and in us in a local community. It actually impacts our impact in the world. In Ephesians, Paul tells us that we are that God made us each with this really unique gift mix, situated in a story with different strengths for a unique purpose, which God, Paul tells us, prepared in advance for us to do. Right? Paul's saying that God designed us, and he kind of like sets up opportunities for us. Sort of like what I imagine is like a parent, a parent like invests in their kids over, you know, the years and the years and the decades and 20 years later, they're like, here you go. Are you going to live into the good works you were prepared for? In the NIV, which is what I've been translate, or, uh, using as the text uh, so far, uh, it's translated a particular way. In the ESV, which is a different Greek translation, a translation from the Greek, it says this. It's very similar, but I want to quote it. It says, for we are God's workmanship, very similar, right? Created in Jesus Christ for good works, very similar, which God prepared beforehand, very similar, and this is the change, that we should walk in them. I want to highlight this because this is actually really important, right? The NIV says, you know, prepared for us in advance to do. Great. But walking in them has a much more active participatory feel. Now, this is a little detailed on the language side. The, Greek learn or the language learners will appreciate this. This is in the subjunctive, which is uh, in Greek creates possibility. And it's this idea of God has created you. He's given you these good works to do. Will you walk in them? There's an invitation, there's an opportunity, but there is also a question mark. Will you do it? And this theme is not limited to Ephesians 2.10. Consider 1 Peter 4.10-11. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. The word gift uh, is charisma, uh, which actually, the root of it is charis, which is grace. All the gifts, all the strengths, the ways you are formed to just shine in the world for God's glory are God's grace to you. Right? We have gifts to serve others, to do good works, but ultimately... Again, as stewards of His grace, these gifts are given to us by God. In order that, verse 11, in everything, God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. Right? In everything. 
However, we, however, God gifts us to serve. We serve behind the scenes, on the stage with kids uh, in your workplace, in your family, on your street. God prepared these in advance for you to do good works that you are uniquely equipped to accomplish. Too often, though, at least in my experience, if you've been at church long enough, often we think of gifts as for knowledge, not use. A number of years ago, I was a, a wee little lad, and uh, <laughs> a number of years ago, I asked a mentor of mine, I said, you know, can you help me discern my gifts? What does my contribution look in community? He's like, yeah, totally, I can do it. Come into my office, go into his office. He's like, take the spiritual gift test. I was like, yeah, I'll do it, awesome. Took some time, he sat there with me very patiently. And then he printed it out and he said, here you go, have a good day. <laughs> and exactly what happened to that printout. I went home, I put it in a drawer and it's still sitting there. Too often we approach the knowledge of our gifts as the goal. All I need to do is know my gifts. No, that is actually not accurate. Knowing the gifts is the gateway towards experimentation with those gifts so you can refine what your gift mix is in community. More on that later. Another example, I, uh, when I was in my doctoral program, I met with a professor on a pretty regular basis and he helped me over three years explore how God kind of uniquely created me. He helped me process through the story of my life, the highs and the lows, the points of pain, the points of joy. He helped me to see the unique ways I was operating in my life, on my block, in ministry. He helped me see how my gift set fluctuated depending on the context I was in. We read books. We prayed. He had me talk with people in my life to say, hey, how do you see the impact of Tony's contribution in this place? And then when there was this opportunity in Pacific Grove to do a church plant in this place, he heard about, he's like, you should check it out. I wonder if this is an opportunity that is uniquely tailored to how God made you. So much different than a piece of paper. Now, up to this point, I've primarily talked about sort of biblical anthropology from the perspective of sort of the individual. You might have noticed that. I've been using a primarily an individualist framework. But this actually doesn't really do justice to the New Testament. The New Testament, there's this unique balance between the unique contribution of the individual within a community of God's people. See, if we stopped here, we might be tempted to think that spiritual gifts, talents, strengths were purely individualistic. Kind of like a little narcissistic parade where we just get to like bask in our self-realization. But in the New Testament, the gifts function in community as we serve within community and bless the world. Romans 12, 4 through 6, it's a great example. Here Paul tells us the church is like a human body. And each member of the body sort of interdependent with the others. This is what he writes. 
For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And these gifts, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, are meant to be used for the common good. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, right now, each, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And a couple of things to say here, right, as we shift from an individual to a communal perspective. First, God brings unique individuals with unique stories, unique gift sets into a community to serve the common good of the body and bless the world. Right? Gifts exist so that we can serve. We're like this beautiful puzzle. And when we all use the gifts God has given us, we image God in the world. When the puzzle pieces all come together, you're like, wow! Look at that picture of who God is. And this is not just about individual self-realization. This is about the community of God's people serving beyond themselves in the world. Two, there's this sense of interdependence. Right? This is what the body metaphor kind of assumes, right? Like a foot, not all that helpful without a leg. A hand, not all that helpful without an arm. A head, not all that helpful without neck and shoulders and back, right? But we often forget this, how elemental and simple this is, right? Just as the body doesn't function with all the parts, right? We're a puzzle. Each individual piece comes together to form a picture of the image of God of the kingdom of God, of what God cares about in the world. James Dunn, theologian, wrote a commentary in Romans. He says this, the body is not one despite its diversity. It is one only by virtue of its diversity. The church is not meant to be a place of conformity. Who has felt that pressure at different points in church life? I just need to conform to these expectations of what a Christian is. No! Our diverse stories, our diverse gifts, our diverse skills and talents shape our communal impact in the world. Without the diversity... This body would be a monstrosity. Think about that. This is the stuff you think about in nightmares. What does the body become if it's a walking eye? It's a monster. I don't want monsters here. This is not a place to conform. This is a place to live out who God uniquely made you to be so that you come alive. And as you come alive, you sense in this space who you are, who God made you to be. And then we discern together what does your impact look like in this space, in this point in history, on this peninsula.
got so worked up about where I was. The point is, God gave the church gifts for the common good. That the church might be built up and equipped and grow and fulfill its mission to bless the world. Authentic expression within community for the common good. Lots of, tons of examples of this. I mean, it's just literally overflowing with them. But um, one that popped into my mind this week, I was having lunch uh, with John Houseman, who now leads our sort of global bless team. I remember literally the first time I met John. We were standing over there in that room. I was just kind of chatting, getting to know him. And then all of a sudden, you just sense this like joy coming out of him as he started talking about, man, I just want to be a part of blessing the world talking about Jesus, meeting needs, and you were just like, okay, you know, tell me a little bit about that. He just started sharing based on his story how God had given him all these experiences. God had equipped him to do this. And I was like, huh, that's kind of interesting. When I look at the puzzle of Wellspring, I see this big hole on our global bless initiatives. Like, what does it look like for us to bless the world? Huh, I wonder if God brought John into this place with that passion, with that skill set, with that experience, with those gifts, so that we as a body could bless the world. He'll be standing over here. He's trying to form a team to go down to Guatemala, trying to get a couple of you that are like, man, my heart beats for this stuff too, to join him. Now, how do we get on the ground, right? Because it's one thing for me to talk about the individual and then talk about the communal and then you leave and you're like, I have no idea what to do with that. Let's talk about three steps at least. Uh, I think step one is this. I think it always starts with prayerfully observing who God made us to be. It always starts internally on some level. Right, based on your story. Who has God shaped you to be? You know, when you look back on your life, in church and outside of it, can you think of seasons or moments when you were using your gifts, when you were doing good work, and you just experienced joy? You're like, wow, that's it. Can you think of those moments? My experience is when you hit those moments of joy, you're often experiencing an alignment between who God made you to be and the good work He has called you to do in the world. Conversely, can you think back on your story and think of those moments when you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. I am burnt out. I dread coming to this community event, this church service, this job. What were you doing? That's probably not how God designed you to flourish in the world. And this often is this intersection, and this is where it gets a little tricky, between are we conforming to expectations of what we think we should be doing? Or in this season, are we just doing what we have to do in order to survive? Make ends meet, that's part of the process. Often in your early 20s, you know, it takes a little time to get to that alignment. We'll get to this in a minute. But you often need to experiment. You need to try things and learn from that process of experimentation. In a second, I'll tell you that. Let's get into this. But in this size, right, you look at skills you've acquired in the internal side. You maybe take a gift test, 
right? You maybe take a strength finder's test. You talk with friends, pray with friends. How do you see me affecting the communities I'm in? That's the internal part. That's what it looks like to, I think, prayerfully observe who God made us to be. And then two, that prayerful process shapes our experimentation. Right? God's gracious gifts are, not, are meant to be used. It isn't enough to just explore internally for the next 20 years. Just to be real for one second, I see this in the church a lot. There's this sense of, I don't totally know who I'm made to be. I think I'll just wait until I know more. And I get it, right? Because there's fear in experimentation. You have to take risks that can be vulnerable. I want you to remember, remember back to Exodus. This guy Moses. Moses tells God at the burning bush, I don't have the gifts. I do not have the skills. God, I cannot do this. Fast forward a few chapters. He tries. Lo and behold, he did it. And we look back and say, Moses, holy smokes, you did incredible things in God's kingdom. But what did Moses do? At the very outset, discounted himself. Often, our experimentation actually leads to greater clarity about who God made us to be. And when they go together, this internal prayerfulness with external experimentation, you have this really virtuous cycle. Go something like this. You experiment. You learn a little bit more about yourself. In the process, you're addressing the fears that keep you from stepping out. So you become a person who is less bound by fear and anxiety. You also gain a deeper connection to Jesus in the process because you're having to trust. You're taking risks to experiment which then also sets you more and more free so that when you're using your particular gift mix, you actually make a bigger impact now because you're less like nervous and tiptoeing around. Experimentation then decreases over time as you clarify, oh, this is who God made me to be, which then sets you more free to do the things God does, does in you, which leads to a greater impact and less fear. I, uh, about a few years into pastoral ministry, I remember talking to a mentor of mine and saying, you know, how do I know? How do I know if I'm sort of built to do this? And this mentor said to me, all right, Tony, there's two things. One, are you enjoying yourself? Right? Internal. Am I experiencing internal alignment between what I'm doing and the work I'm trying to accomplish, the good works? And two, he's like, And is there fruit? If you ask around people in the ministry, are they saying, wow, when Tony does that, man, cool stuff happens. Internal joy, external fruit. Begins with prayerfully observing who God made us, which shapes our experimentation. This is important. It always takes place within a particular context and community. Frederick Buchner said, your vocation in life is where your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. But the world's greatest need is always particular. Right? It's never like, I offer this to the world. You always offer it in a place, time, and history. 
right? We all serve within a given context, right? And every context has a given set of needs, right? And you come into that given context with a given story, a gift mix, and strengths. So it makes sense that depending on where you are at in your own story, as you intersect a particular community, certain needs are going to be present that will match your particular gift mix. But it will change depending on the context. Let me tell you two stories. One, when I went up to Washington, I was at a church up there. Um, there was a teaching pastor that taught most of the time. So Tony was not up here very often, which is fine. But then I need to figure out, so what am I going to do? Right? So I used, remember the three things that I will do in any context? I met with people one-on-one, and I developed leaders, and I built all kinds of communities for people to connect. I didn't teach a lot. That's okay. Right? We don't come into a community saying, this is what I do. Make a need. Right? That would be absurd. But often we do this. We come to a community, then we sideline ourselves. Well, they don't have a need for X. You were not given one gift. You were given a gift mix. And that gift mix always has a place to express itself in every local community that you participate in or are called into. For the last five years, I have been praying for one thing in particular that's kind of unique. I remember the first day I came here, I went into that back building, and if you haven't been there, there is this place called Cooper's Clubhouse. Cooper's Clubhouse was designed by an artist to do puppet theater. Now, I thought, this is really unique. They are trying to use the creative arts to be in the community, to form up disciples in this place, but also share the gospel outside of it, trying to use creative theater. And I thought, that's awesome. I will never do it. But what I did instead is I started praying. God, bring the person who when they walk into this room, it's just going to be like, what? I have been waiting to walk into a church and have an opportunity to have theater and performing arts. For five years, I have been praying for this person. I think that person walked in the door a few months ago. They walked into that room and they awoke. And we're like, started then talking about plans, bringing kids up there and brainstorming with them and praying with them about what God could do in that place. A particular person in a particular context with a particular passion to see God glorified, to do good works based on who God formed them, not me, to be. And we'll see where it goes the beginning of the story, but now we're discerning together. Did God bring you to this place with this unique room to set you alive to bless our community with the the creative arts? And in the process, talk about who God is and what His kingdom's like. Prayerfully observing who God made us shapes our experimentation within a particular context and community. Now, today, I get it. That's probably a lot to digest, and you're like, I have no idea where to begin. I'll give you two things. One, 
We don't do this very often. We have a bunch of tables out here. These tables are going to have people, human beings, living poems, masterpieces, standing there. All of these people have taken risks to serve in this place. So you have two opportunities. One, see what they're doing. Ask them about their process, how they got to that place. Two, if you feel like, man, I wonder if I should serve in that way. Talk to them about what it looks like to participate. Every single person in this room was designed for a unique purpose, for good works that God prepared in advance to do. I think some of you are going to come alive at one of these spaces. Some of these are communities. Some of these are more local or global ways to bless. Some of them are serving in the church. Totally fine. Lots of ways to use gifts, skills, passions. I also recognize some people have totally different ways they want to contribute, right? Theater, exhibit one. (laughs) So for that group of people, or for anyone who wants to try it, I'm going to try and experiment with something. I'm going to create like a little processing group. It's going to meet three times. It's going to talk about your story. It's going to talk about your gifts. We're going to talk about maybe your strengths. I don't know. I haven't totally decided. Uh, It will depend on who shows up in the room. I think we'll meet three times, maybe for 90 minutes. This is not going to be a lecture or a sermon. This is going to be a place to talk. I will give you assignments between the meetings. If you don't do the assignments, please don't come. This is a space for you to process with other people. If you feel like you need that space, sign up. If you don't, no pressure. Uh, There's a little sign-up sheet out there. Uh, It'll probably be on Sunday afternoons. Uh, It's just going to be a space for us to process together. My hope is you'll find some connections in that space. Maybe a couple people will come in and be like, you too? You know, and it'll ignite something. I don't really know. Uh, But we're going to try it anyway and see what happens. I want to invite the worship team back up. So there's two things you can do after service. One is talk to someone out here. Get a sense of what's going on at Wellspring. You know, maybe, maybe you just sense God inviting you to connect more deeply. Maybe it's to serve in this body. Maybe it's a way you want to uniquely bless the world. Awesome. Chat in there. Sign up for the processing group. But for now... I just want to create a space where maybe you can just be present to God about who He made you in worship. So just invite you as you sit in your pew at this moment just to slow down and become present to maybe what, what happened in your body and your mind as I was speaking. Was there like a moment when God was like nudging you and you're like, oh, that's me. Oh yeah, that's kind of what I need to lean into. Or maybe you sense yourself kind of like leaning back. You're like, I'm not, I don't know about me, you know. Pay attention to that. Remember, God has called us to participate in His kingdom. No one is meant to be on the sidelines cheering on. All of us are meant to be on the field. How we're on the field, how we contribute, super diverse and varied. I just invite you to just slow down with the Spirit for a second. Just ask God, how have you, how have you created me? Based on my story, my points of pain and triumph, 
the skills you've given me, the gifts you've given me, the strengths you've given me. God, what is the unique impact you want me to make in this body and in this world at this time? Holy Spirit, speak to us. Identify the barriers in us. And God, I do pray that you would awaken things in us. That showing up to church would be more than listening to a sermon and singing some songs, but it would be, wow, God, you've, you've brought me into alignment what you created me to be. I want to also just pray. I feel like some of us have embraced some lies about who we are. Just in the name of Jesus, I just pray that you would break those lies in this moment, God. Set us free, God, to be who we are. Break the lies. Break the lies. Holy Spirit, Jesus teaches that you need a someone stronger than the strong man to defeat the power of evil in the world. And Jesus is stronger than the strong man break the lies and set us free. Set us free to be who you made us to be, the masterpieces, the living poems, coming together like a puzzle to bear your image in this world, on this block, in this city, on this peninsula. God, glorify yourself through us. Let's stand in worship.